0: Hello everyone and welcome back to MicroCast. Today we're here with Dr. Sabrina Green to talk about phage therapy and some of the really cool work that she and her colleagues are doing. So a little bit about Dr. Green. During her PhD work, she pioneered a new model to study when bacteria from gut travels to other parts of the body, which can cause really dangerous infections. And then she's currently a research associate at Baylor College of Medicine, and she's the director of R&D for the Taylor Research Center. So welcome, Dr. Green. To start, what is phage therapy? Sure. So
1: phages are viruses of bacteria, and they only infect bacteria, so you don't need to worry about them human cells and they've been used for a hundred years plus to actually treat bacterial infections in people and so that's what phage therapy is so it's been going on for a hundred plus years but we've only recently started to really come back to the use of phage here in the Western world when
0: do we want to use phage therapy when would it be a better choice than the current standard of
1: yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, uh, right now, at least in the U S phage is used like a compassionate use basis is what they call it, which is really, um, when patients have an, either a drug resistant infection or a difficult to treat infection and the, the case is really dire and it's already been through the standard of care and the standard of care being typically antibiotics, um. So that is when, um, nowadays you may come in, uh, with phage to treat an infection, um, should it actually be used as first line treatment? I think that's, that's, that's a really good question right now. I feel like antibiotics are still uh, pretty effective, um, for a lot of infections for a lot of people, but. There may be certain types of infections, like in biofilm-forming infections, for instance, when maybe phage would be a good first-line treatment. Uh, but currently, what we do um, is actually combine phage with antibiotics um, on these uh, patients that have already been through, through the standard of care. There's been some really great examples, too, of people who've had
0: Really bad life-threatening infections, and then phage therapy is what allowed them to like turn around and start to recover. Um, the first one that was done in the U.S. was only a couple years ago. Is that right?
1: Um. So, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but it's okay. It's not your fault. Um. I think there's a lot of miscommunication when it comes to phage and phage therapy. And that's something that i hope to correct so um, phage actually has been used here in the u.s um, uh, in the 1940s um, you know in the 1930s um, a lot of places were actually using phage because phage was actually discovered prior to antibiotics um, you can imagine that um, something like this would be used As soon as someone found it and people knew that you could actually treat an infection, which wouldn't have been treated, if you can imagine a world without antibiotics where a a little cut, a little wound could potentially kill you. Um, So if you found that there was this thing that could actually treat a patient, um, you know, this would be all over the world and people would be using it. And that's true. We're starting to learn that all over the world, people were using it, and it was actually quite effective for infections, but because there are certain cases that tend to get more press, especially this Patterson case, I think you're referring to, mm -hmm. um, Dr. Tom Patterson, who developed a multi-drug resistant infection, it became a book. Might potentially be a movie so it, it got a lot of press and so you tend to first think of that case and um, and it was a success he he had a drug resistant infection he was about to die and he received phage alongside with antibiotics and now he's he's better today I've actually met him I met him over the phone but but yeah he's he's alive and he's doing very well But the point I'm trying to make is that when sometimes when we focus on these cases that are more recent, we're kind of losing the history of phage and what we could potentially learn from these previous cases that have been happening since it was first discovered. That's incredible.
0: Is there a reason that we shifted from using phage in the U.S. to when we discovered antibiotics kind of? Fully focusing on antibiotics for a while.
1: Yeah, I think what is um, kind of uh, the consensus is that when penicillin was first discovered, um, I think in 1928, and and then again, this was after phage was was discovered. It was used um, during World War II, I believe. In, in the 1930s, and um, and and so that the, that's really important because it was able to be mass produced and used on soldiers, and that's what really that's what really helped it gain widespread interest all over the U.S. and all over the world. But more importantly, uh, pharmaceutical companies became really interested in being able to actually mass produce something, and they created this antibiotic and several other antibiotics that were very similar to, to penicillin. And so I think that is the consensus What may have been the death knell of, of phage was that pharmaceutical companies became interested in developing uh, antibiotics. They thought it was much easier to, to develop it and um, much easier to, to treat patients.
0: So our medical system back then, we were
1: talking about treating
0: soldiers in World War II, which is a very much emergency medicine triage system, was much different than it is today. And we have a lot more regulations. So speaking of those regulations, you recently were in Belgium and got to um, do some work over there, and learned a lot about how is dealt with in Europe versus in the US. Could you tell us what you learned in Belgium and about phage therapy abroad?
1: Yeah, so I was really lucky. I got to spend a couple months in Belgium and it wasn't a coincidence. I knew a lot about what was happening in Belgium and I really liked their approach of of how they are doing phage therapy. So here in the US, it's usually regulated through this compassionate use as they call it it's actually um, an investigational new drug or ind applications that are sent to the fda for the single use approval of phage therapy and again it's really for patients that have gone through the standard of care and they're um, dire cases and they have either difficult to treat or antibiotic multi-drug resistant infections And so this can be a very time consuming process in the U S and to get this approval for each patient uh, you can imagine for the physician would be just, you know, a lot of work and when they already have a lot of work. And so this makes it a lot more difficult for patients to receive phage therapy and for physicians to want to actually do phage therapy for their patients. So in Belgium, What they have is actually, it's called a magistral approach, which is really like fancy name for really a compounding pharmacy, which compounding pharmacies we have here in the U.S. as well. And so what they can do is they can be prescribed a phage by their physician, and then these compounding pharmacies will make their phage treatment, but the actual phage is made by the Uh, groups in the military hospital and in these government public health institutions that actually develop the phage specifically for the patient isolate. So it's really important to do this because phages are very specific. And so you have to develop a phage for the bacteria that you're going to treat. So unlike antibiotics, are you know very easy to implement you might not even know what bacteria you're treating and you might prescribe someone an antibiotic i wouldn't recommend that but that that does happen there's no way you could do that with phage and so you really have to get that specific phage that infects that specific bacteria in order for it to work and so this magistral approach in belgium is really i think the best way to do phage therapy, the more effective way to do phage therapy. And then more importantly, the patient will get their phages at a reasonable time because they don't have to go through this approval process. And then physicians will more more likely want to use phage because they don't have to go through this approval process that we have here. So it sounds like in both cases, phages are very personalized
0: to the patient and the infection, but in the Belgian system, it's a lot quicker before they can actually get to the patient, which when you're dealing with an infection can be a really important, important yeah. step. Yeah, so it's like
1: you can think of all the patients that can be helped that really can't wait that long, you know, you know maybe they could wait for you to develop a phage. They can't wait for this approval process. Um, there's a large population of people that really could help, be helped if we change these things. So that's why I'm really passionate about it because this is really a regulatory problem, not a science problem, not a technology problem. Science and technology may take time, may take money, but regulatory problems are really just a people problem. <laughs> so if it's something that we can easily fix by maybe talking to government or doing something so that you can actually help these patients then that you know saves us time so that we can help these patients that are really dire cases
0: are there any concerns with making phage therapy more available and easier to access like are there safety issues that we need to account for any pieces of legislation and, and overrule that we need to, to keep intact to make sure everything is safe and effective yeah.
1: so yeah that's a really good question so and, you know, going back to the time I spent in Belgium they have so there they have labs that produce the phage it's in a clean room it's not GMP so these good manufacturing practices that people talk about a lot but it's in a clean room they have quality checks from the other labs from the public health institutions and they do that safely and you know they have had no issues and they've treated over a hundred patients this way with, with no major adverse issues so i really think that you know these things can be done because they are are already being done in other countries. We just need to kind of be aware that this is going on and learn from them. As far as any other types of of issues that could happen if phage is too readily available, of course, just like with antibiotics, because they're so readily available, there is a chance that you would have overuse and you'd have resistant bacteria to phage because of overuse, just like anything else that we use. So it really is something that uh, we, we need to monitor if phage becomes a big thing, just like we monitor, we are starting to monitor antibiotic usage. We don't wanna repeat the same mistakes that we repeated with antibiotics. It's gonna be the same. Bacteria become resistant to antibiotics, they come become resistant to phage, if you overuse them, if you use them without actually knowing what bacterial infection you have, you don't know what you could be doing. So it is important to to really regulate it the same way that we are beginning to regulate antibiotic usage.
0: Speaking of antibiotics, it's my understanding that Taylor, the
1: nonprofit that you work with,
0: also works on trying to use antibiotics and phage in conjunction. Is that
1: correct? So I believe it's it is a part of the IND that we, we do have to use antibiotics alongside the phage to treat the patient. So we haven't yet just treated with phage. And so it, it is important in our lab, we have some research to show that there are certain antibiotics and certain phages that when combined together, they can synergize so they can work better together, but there are times that they can actually antagonize and so you don't want that you don't want your phage antagonizing your antibiotic and the other way around and then nothing works and so uh, what we do is we actually test the phage cocktail that we develop at taylor so taylor is a not-for-profit lab at baylor college of medicine and so we develop these phages and when we do we test phage cocktail alongside the antibiotics that the patient will be on to see if we see the synergy or if we see antagonism. And so we are actually not treating the patient. So this kind of just helps guide the treating physician to help them decide how to best treat the patient. So this type of work is really, it's it's still research. Still, we see it in vitro, this antibiotic and phage synergy, and we're really still trying to understand if this is actually happening inside a, a person, so whether we see this synergy or antagonism in a person, but just to be careful, we do test it prior to actually putting it into a
0: patient. Taylor has been reading many cocktails already, so this is something that
1: is, that is ongoing, right? Yes. So, I'm the research component of it but a lot of this work is done by austin terwilliger he is the director of clinical operations at taylor and he um, kind of works with these clinicians and pharmacies and regulatory agencies to get this phage therapy to people so so far 12 patients have received complete treatment with phage and i believe there's probably 10 more that are about to receive phage. That's incredible, and thanks to Taylor for doing this work and really
0: pioneering, making sure this happens in the US. Are there any
1: other groups in
0: the US that are doing similar work?
1: Yeah, so what we're doing is really, it's not just us. So we're working with groups all over the US, in Canada and in France, uh, potentially other countries What we do is we prepare the phage, and we advise
0: the clinician
1: on how to apply for this IND, or depending on what country they're from, whatever regulatory agency they're working with, um, how to help them apply for to get approval for this phage therapy. But we are working with groups such as IPATH at UCSD, Mayo Clinic, working with groups at. The Texas Medical Center here too. And so there are groups popping up that are beginning to, to see that you know you can actually do this. We're, you know we're in a, an academic institution. We have all of the equipment available to us to easily purify phage. And so I think we are inspiring others to be able to develop their phage on their own. But of course, you know, you have companies that are developing phage. There's uh, Adaptive Phage Therapeutics. And then you have the Army and the Navy, too, that have developed phage and have phage libraries. And of course, you have iPath, who work with us. We develop phages for them, but I do believe they also develop phages on their own. And then you have smaller labs all over the U.S. that are kind of providing phages for patients if they need it. Um, so there's this group, it's a nonprofit called Phage Directory. And what they do is they connect patients that really need phage to researchers around the U.S., around the world that have phages. That may not develop phage for phage therapy, but have these phages through their research. And so they connect these groups to potentially develop a phage therapy for the patient that needs it. But really what our group did is we um, knew that this was happening and kind of put everything together into just one lab. So not only do we have the phages here and we do re- basic research work on phage, but we also are capable of developing the phage for therapeutic treatment and then uh, assisting physicians with treatment. And then also, depending on the regulatory component of what we're doing, IRBs, we can actually take samples from the patient and do uh, research on that. So not only are we helping patients, but we're learning from patients. And what we're learning from patients is going back into our basic research and kind of developing our research program. And so this is kind of a, a cool, way of, of going about this um, you can directly help someone and then also build a research program around it. It sounds like that's also
0: part of what happens in Belgium too is they have this organized system where they keep track of everything and then they're building knowledge based on developing these pages and using them in patients in addition to using them for treatment. Um, do you think what Taylor does is similar? Or do you do you think that in the US, we need to do a better job of combining all of our sources of information so that we can continue to, to move the field forward? Yeah.
1: yeah, that's a really good question. So um, we've started to work with the international community to work on a database so that we could collect all this data along with all the physicians that we work with. So kind of to have all the data in one place can be very complex because you know you have different institutions different researchers um, you know not everyone wants to share (laughs) this information but but i think we are we're working towards something where like that where we can put all this information together not just in the u.s but in the world to really kind of understand if phage therapy is effective and Best way to do phage therapy so that it's the most effective. Um, So, I hope that you know, with this, we could really learn a lot and help patients right now. In the future, of course, it will definitely help um, patients.
0: It sounds like one of the things that, that keeps coming around in
1: this discussion,
0: too, is that there's so much cool work being done. But I mean, if I think of like my parents, for example, I don't think they've ever heard of, of bacteriophage or phage therapy. So a lot of people just don't know that it's an option and that it's happening and that it's effective, which brings us into science communication. Can you tell us more about your work on science communication and how that's important for, I mean, just science and the public as a whole?
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's really important that's doing anything in the science field to um, communicate your work to the public, whether it's um, you know, your, your research or something that you learned. Um, you know if you think about all uh, all of us that are PhDs or PhD students, it's a very small fraction of the population. And so you know if we are learning so much, Really learning not only um, science but how to to think. I think this is very valuable information that we need to share. If we, even though there's few of us, if we all share this information, you know we can communicate this to to many people, and hopefully they can learn something from it too. You know this has become a big problem uh, just with this COVID nineteen pandemic. Of course you have people that are suddenly consuming a lot of information that they have never seen before, um, you know, viruses and variants and words that they don't understand. (laughs) And so it's very easy when you're hit with all this very complex information to get disinformation and to just follow it because you think that it's it's real, but if you teach someone how to actually think, um, I, I feel like they would—they would be less susceptible to this disinformation. And so, um, when it comes to phage, and, and, and I think is—it's like—it's also a really good example of disinformation because you have a lot of people that really either they don't know phage, or they saw it in a textbook see virus when they see it and virus especially now has a very bad connotation so people don't want viruses you know inside of them they don't want viruses being injected into them they don't understand the idea that these viruses will only infect bacteria so it's really important with phage therapy to communicate this really well and then you have the major issue of the antibiotic resistance pandemic too. You know, this is a pandemic that's been going on alongside COVID-19. It's been here before COVID-19 and it's gonna continue after COVID-19 if it ever goes away. And so this is a problem that is creeping up on us. And really, if more people don't know about it, it's gonna be really bad. So, you know, the predictions of course say that the really bad predictions in 2050, 10 million people will die per day due to um, AMR. And so that's antimicrobial resistance, which not only includes bacteria, but also fungal infections. And then a recent paper in 2019 said 1.2 million had died in 2019 due to bacterial AMR. So it's it's already, it's it's looking like the numbers are going to be much larger than And so if we don't really do anything about it and we ignore it, um, it's just going to get worse. And so for us that know science and that know about this pandemic, I think we really should be communicating it to help people. You make a really good
0: point, too, of, for example, patients have an infection, they feel sick, they go to their doctor, and they want something that's going to help them. A lot of people don't know if you have a viral infection, not the same kind of virus we're talking about with bacteriophage, specifically a virus that infects humans, taking antibiotics is not going to help it at all. But if you don't understand that, then you're gonna be confused. You're like, I want something to help me. Like, why won't anybody give me something to help me? So having everybody understand um, the basics, I think helps us get all on the same
1: team as far as what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I really think people are capable like yeah. sometimes I, I feel like we we don't think that you know the, uh, what we call a layperson you know would understand what we're talking about but I really don't think that's that's their problem I think it's your problem I don't think you're communicating it correctly so that they can best understand but I, I think anyone is capable of understanding a lot of this stuff.
0: I think that's really. True even for
1: like my own experience
0: because I know microbiology pretty well. But if I try to read an academic paper on cancer, I'm so confused because I don't know any of the jargon, I don't know what any of the acronyms stand for, I'm not familiar with anything. And so if I am already trained in this and don't understand something that's slightly outside of my field, we need to do a better job of of explaining
1: it in a way that
0: that you can understand it even if you
1: don't know all the acronyms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I read things from my own field I don't understand. Yeah, same. So it's like, when you present it, though, I mean, it, it makes sense in academic journal that there's a way that you write it that may, it doesn't have to be understood by everybody because it's for a specific academic journal. But when you present something, especially when you present to the public, you need to be clear and to really simplify things. I I think I'm I think I'm good at simplifying things mostly because I don't think I'm very smart <laughs> and, I don't so, think that's true. and so like I I explain things the way I want it to be explained so mm-hmm. that I I would understand something and so that's how I go about explaining the science. Sometimes I find myself actually explaining things to people with PhDs and many many years of experience, and they think that I'm talking to them like they're dumb, Mm -hmm. and then I feel like really bad. I I I appreciate. I I think I think that's just how I talk. mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I never assume that people know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I always go back to the beginning and introduce subjects. I don't assume that that people know you know everything that i know and so you know that's that's how science communication should be i think you should be explaining it like like you would want someone to explain something complex to you so that you can understand it that's
0: awesome thank you dr green for your work in this field and for taking the time to talk about all the things that we the public might need to know where can our audience find you if they want to follow you on, on do you use twitter or
1: yes i do use twitter a lot it's a mother of phage it's my twitter handle and i have other social media but it's more personal gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah
0: so yeah follow
1: sabrina and learn
0: more about phage on her platform sabrina talks about phage and all of her other passions all the time on her twitter so if you're interested in learning more go find her there But thank you everyone for tuning in to MicroCast today. Thank you for Dr. Green for sitting down with us. And reminder to always wash your hands.